Welcome citizens, you're listening to New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creatives. Here, thinkers and doers always have a key to the city. The mayor is in, so office hours start now. Episode 98 of New Amsterdam Radio starts now, and that just sounds completely odd to say 98 episodes. I did not think I would be here. But, as I say, a journey begins with yet a single step. Today's guest is someone that I had met before we sat down for an interview, but over the course of our talk, I felt like we were old buddies. I felt like we were old friends. Rapper Griopi is making hip-hop with a message in a way that's enlightening and refreshing. And he has a brand new album, Racism, that I got to talk to him about. And I actually... Took the time to check out the album after our talk. I had a deep listen because I like to listen on the surface. I like to go back and listen to the production and listen to like the lyrics and stuff. As I like to uh, consume my music, I takes a couple of days in my end. And uh, check it out. It's called Racism. Uh, my favorite track there is one called Picnic, personally. But Grio B is doing something with hip-hop that I would love to see more of taking our history, and when I say our history, I do mean American history, world history, black history, and presenting it in a fresh new way, and the beats do slap. And so, uh, being able to sit with him and just to get to his mind about his craft, his personal craft, has been uh, a recent highlight for the show for me, for sure. Before I get to the talk with him, just want to say thank you for supporting the show, newamstam.com, that's K-N-A-W, Amsterdam.com that lists all the shows that yours truly is a host of, including this one, the flagship, the new Amsterdam radio. And if you want to support the show, there's many ways you can do that. You can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash Lobo Boys. It's a tip jar. Help a brother out or buy a t-shirt or uh, a long sleeve hoodie over at the Flopito shop at Flopito. That's F-L-O-B-I-T-O flobito.threadless.com. And if you want to unlock bonus content, interviews, show notes, the whole nine yards, as they say, hit up Patreon, patreon.com slash flobo-boys. We call it the boisterous crew. And those who are members get shout-outs, exclusive videos, and even shows you can't see anywhere else. But enough of me paying the bills. It's now time for my chat with rapper Griel B. Welcome back to New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for kiddos. It is I, the mayor, Flobo Voice, in the mayor's office. But as always, I am not alone. You know me. Some of my many billions of jobs I have, like to spin music for parties, understanding people's togetherness when they're having one of the best days of their life. I know how important music is, but my guest today does that with a little bit of knowledge. Griot B, Schoolyard Rap, is doing yeah. big things as far as getting a good message and educating the masses, not just the kids, the masses of the importance of culture and society. Griot, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Flobo Boys. It's good to be <laughs> in the in the city. Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 for now, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be here, you know, without the smallpox blankets, etc. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> but no, good to be here, man. Thanks for That's having a deep me. cut for that. I don't know. I appreciate. Uh, I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, 
1621. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I saw that song, man. Uh, it was funny because, like, uh, I, I'm the part of Brooklyn I'm from is Flatlands, and now it's called Flatlands. But at the time, it was called Amersfoort or Amersfoort, which is like another, like you know, another Dutch loan word. So the Dutch was over here doing Dutch-like things in Dutch-like town in the actual New Amsterdam. But so it's not about me, man. <laughs> it's about you. I got to start from the beginning, man. You do so much in the music game, schoolyard rap. Um, I want to take to the top, top level. Why did you choose the name Griot B? Because there's uh, many ways to say uh, you could be a person of knowledge. There's so many ways to say what your music was. Why that phrase? What does that mean to you? Yeah, you know, it's crazy. It's 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 one of the names that fit the most, right? As an artist, you got to, you know, it's not a nickname growing up, um, but rather it is a title, um, a griot uh, in West African tradition, right? So in West Africa, our history um, pre-Islam, the history of West Africa was an oral tradition, right? Meaning that all knowledge, information was passed down, not written, but by word of mouth, generation after generation after generation. Um, and so the people who are tasked with this job of learning the history and passing it down and advising the king, letting, them, letting the kings and queens know exactly what's going on and what has happened were called griots. Um, and griots were either, you know, the village, a tribe level, kingdom level, empire level. Um, and they passed down. They were the holders of knowledge and they passed it down oftentimes through music, through poems, through storytelling. Um, and so when I decided to, to go the route of being an artist full time, um, I said the, the name that really fits what I'm doing um, is a griot. That's what I am for this generation. I, I teach through knowledge. You know, I teach through music um, and and I hold the history and I'm passing it down to this generation through my stories that I tell. And so that's what griot comes from. And so this is you mentioned it's a full-time position. Yeah. I guess walk me through the research involved and, and finding Ooh. different stories that may not be shining the light in history books that ones you realize that need to be told. Like how do you select the stories you want to tell with your music? Uh well it's it's pretty pretty easy to select or to find stories um that I should talk about that aren't in history books. I basically have to look at any stories of people of color. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, if okay. It, it's not about white folks. It's, it's, it's probably ain't been taught in history. And that's, I mean, <laughs> right. it's, it's a laughable moment, but it's the truth. It's the truth of our, our American education system. It's very um, one-sided. It is a, it's through the lens of white supremacy, uh, through the lens of male uh, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, like we don't even learn much about white women in history class. If you really think about it, True. Like name name like the five white women you learn about in history class, right? You really yeah. can't learn. Can you? I, uh, <laughs> Susan B. Anthony and uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but she okay. went to my high school, so that doesn't really count. <laughs> oh, she right. counts, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. And so, um, I think that when the reason why to start off is because there's a there's a need, right, for people to know. Right. There's information that our students need to know. And when I say students, I don't just don't mean kids in school. I mean, you I'm talking about adults because it's not taught. If you look at what's taught in our school system, even when you talk about like Black History Month, and I put in air quotes for those who are listening, mm -hmm. uh, you have pretty much two lessons. Right. Two things that are taught. I'm Flobo. What about what are your thoughts? What do you what were you taught about black history in your school system when you went to school? <sighs> Let's see. Martin Luther King did nothing but have one speech his entire life. Yes. And and Frederick Douglass coined Negro History Week, which became Black History Month. Right. And even then, that's uh, that, it's actually Carter G. Woodson who became who who actually made it an uh, actual event. Right. But that's it. What you just said, slavery and segregation. Those are the two topics we all learn about for black history. But our history is so much more. In mm -hmm. fact, if you look at those themes of slavery and segregation, the themes of them is actually very similar. Right. Yeah. Let's take this for a second. We were beat. 
right? We were kicked, abused. We were treated wrong. We were treated with race and hate, right? That's slavery and segregation, right? Sure. Let's move on. Some dope white folks helped out, right? And, and tried to assist us, like the abolitionists. That's we learned about abolitionists, like William Lowe Garrison. We also learned about the Freedom Riders who came down, you know, from California and Berkeley to say we want to help out, right? Yeah. Some black heroes, right? Frederick Douglass, as you mentioned, Harriet Tubman, Rosa Parks, uh, Dr. King. And then what do we have after that? We have a person, a white person, gave us our freedom or gave us our rights, Lyndon B. Johnson um, or Abraham Lincoln, right? And neither mm -hmm. of those lessons truly are uplifting to African-Americans. Neither of those lessons really paint the picture that African-Americans are equals in this country. I mean, yes, it was given equality, but it wasn't saying that from stump that we were equal or that we have contributed equitably to this the fabric of this country's success. When in truth, African-Americans, Latinx, you know, Latinos, Latinas, Asian Pacific Islanders, like they help build this country and their narratives need to be told. And so that's the why ultimately. The research okay. from there is really, I just, I, I, I think about what isn't taught and I, I learn about it. I got books galore, I read, I watch documentaries and I use that to craft the knowledge, but more importantly, make sure the sound is good. I make sure I go to some fire production crews uh, yeah. to start with that as first. Yeah, you know, you always understand the human nature that we're tribal in, in nature. And sometimes if, if someone does look different, it doesn't matter if it's like fashion or a language or an accent, we say, hey, look, this person's different. Let's, let's you know, walk on eggshells or, or reject that person. Um, but male African-Americans and, and African people and, and immigrants have been in this fabric for 100, 200, maybe even 300 years, maybe even more if you count, but pre-America, America, pre-United pre States America. Question I have is this then, if we want to go there already, why? hasn't that changed why haven't we people said hey look black people ain't going nowhere why why is it seen as different or lesser than even as late as 2021 mm, that's a really good question um i'm gonna break i'm gonna go deep i'm gonna go deep with you real quick and this of course these are opinions but my opinion is based and grounded on facts and here's one a popular fact or unpopular fact based on a misconception do you know the majority of white people during the slave eras and slave holding times the majority of white people weren't plantation owners. Mm -hmm. That's we, we think about like slavery time. We think, oh, plantation or plantation. But there are many people who are just workers, right, who were overseers, who worked here and there, worked on the plantation or did work in the city. Right. And so right. there was one thing when it comes to a social structure, a hierarchy of a country or anything, there typically has to be somebody placed at the bottom. Right. And that person at the bottom. So even if uh, the most miserable white person. Right. Uh, uh, they, they hate the job. They hate the, you know, the boss getting on the nerves. They can at least go home and look in the mirror and say, at least I ain't, a you know, N word. Right. At right, least right. I ain't black. Right. There's right. that lowest level. Um, and I mean, shoot, Lyndon B. Johnson, the man who gave civil rights, said if you can convince the poorest white folk that he's better than the greatest Negro. Right. The greatest black person. He'll uh, he'll give you his money. Right. You can rob him blind shoot you can you can he'll give you the money out of his own pocket right? because that for people in power right there always has to be a hierarchy where there's a base level that people in you know bad situations can look at them like oh at least i'm not that and so i think that has carried on throughout history of this country is that because right there's this physical difference that you clearly see between the african-american and everybody else right Society-wise, structurally, in our systems, in our government, there has been a place for African Americans to continuously be low, to be demonized, right? That's mm -hmm. why 
sports, right? There's African-Americans being portrayed as criminals, thugs consistently. If it bleeds, it leads, right? If it's crime, it's gone time. And that's that system that stays in our country's fabric so that African-Americans in this case, right, are, um, are seen as the lowest rung, right? And that is something that even President Trump used, right? When his election, why do you, it wasn't African-Americans, but he used uh, Mexicans and immigrants as that lowest thing to, to make people uh, afraid of and also say we're better than that. Um, and so I, I don't think I've articulated that as well as I possibly could because that's an excellent question. But ultimately, the point I'm making is when it comes down to any system, right, <clears throat> I believe that when the people in power hold the the kind of the hierarchy and place certain individuals at the lowest part it behooves them to continue to have those individuals staying low to advance one or two you know some right uh, in higher levels and make them the example and oh look at what you can do if you just play the cards right but for the most part behind the scenes continue to have systems where all the rest are maintained on a lower uh, socioeconomic um and culturally uh, um culturally seen rung huh it's very good perspective the question i have then is uh with the grio b persona was that the first foray into music or were you doing something a little bit different and you realized that your look on the world was shifting you in that position or in that direction yeah, it was my first foray in music. I actually only started rapping when I was a teacher. Um, okay. I, I taught seventh and eighth grade history, and that's literally the first time I start rapping. It was one of my students. He 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 dared me. He was listening to some music. I was like, "It's trash." He said, "Mr. Brown, I bet you can't do that." <laughs> it's like, yo, you can't challenge. You me. couldn't let it go. I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. What? You can't just challenge me. So I went home and I made. Um, I made my first song. It was uh the the song he was listening to was Chief Keef. That's that thing I don't like, you know, I don't like. And I was like, this is horrible. So I turned it to like stamp act. That's that thing I don't like a hey, quarter and act. That's that thing I don't like. And that is really when I started to um, realize that there's a way to teach or reach people um, that is different than what we are consistently expected in the education spectrum. And that's like sit down, quiet, do some worksheets, don't talk. That's how I was teaching because that's how I was taught. But at that moment, I kind of break that mold so that I can educate my students um, and reach them where they were. And they were completely engaged from that moment on. And that's really when I started rapping. So that was whew, six, six, seven, six, seven, eight, eight. That was some years ago, about eight, eight, nine years ago. Um, yeah. But it was never my aspiration to be a hip hop artist, to be a rapper. It was more of a calling um, at that moment. Did you feel it instantly with that first song? Or when you show up that first day, you were like, all right, here it goes. I've been challenged. I don't back down from a challenge. If it's, if it's whack, I did it. Or you're like, no, nah, I feel I feel this is it. Yeah, no, uh, it was it was uh the 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 former. Like I was challenged. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna do it. I did yeah. it. Right. But the response, like I had the quiet kids like, Mr. Brown, can you do that again? You know, the kid that's always talking. I'm saying his first name was Jordan. I ain't going to say his last name. Uh, uh, he was he, he was that's the, the kid that was like me in class, always talking, always boisterous, doing all this. And he yeah. was quiet the whole time. Like, hey, Mr. Brown, can I get on the song, too? Like and so at that point, like, I was like, this is more. It was, I started as more of a teaching technique than as an artist. The artist thing didn't really uh, come out until around 2017, 16, 17 is when I really said, OK, let me take this to the next step. Um, and I start releasing actual albums. Yeah. And well, unfortunately, I have to ask this question as a person of color mm. <laughs> who's doing this. 
And what you just said a minute ago about the the perceptions of being lesser and has that come to a head though? If people come stop in the street and be like, "Yo, you're just too preachy. You can't be telling people the way you do it in rhyme and iambic pentameter <laughs> and yeah, bars. What's wrong with you? Like, like Those... what? Uh, what? Yeah, what's the reception you get? <laughs> you know, it is it is predominantly is predominantly um, praised what I do. There's always okay. going to be some negative individuals because they have a preconceived mindset and preconceived yeah. notion. This is what I say, and this is the truth, right? I, I I love my country. I'm an American, right? I am a, I'm a proud American, right? This is my country. Uh, my ancestors helped build it up for nothing. We made it rich without ever making money, right? Mm -hmm. And so the truth of the matter is it is my obligation as a black American to strive and try to make it a better country for my people and everyone else. Right. So, so for those people who say, you know, who meet it with hesitation and say, go back to Africa. Right. Oh, if you don't like it, leave. I say, if you don't like a company, do you just leave or do you provide feedback? If you work for an organization or a business, right. Do you provide constructive criticism or do you say, well, that's it. No, if you're going to work with something and it's something that you're putting your time and energy, your life in, like me as an American citizen, it is my obligation to provide some constructive feedback, to to provide some places where I think it needs to change. And so ultimately, um, I've been met with more appreciation than negativity because mm -hmm. it's the way I approach it, because I feel like this is my country and I I, I preach it as as and it's funny <laughs> you say preach. It's hella funny. When I was a kid, everybody said I was going to be a preacher because my daddy is <laughs> a preacher. Right. So yeah. I'm going to be a preacher. And it's like I'm not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not what I'm doing when I travel around. Like we've been in 19 states down south. We've been to the Midwest. We've been a bunch of places teaching this yeah. knowledge and performing. But what I am preaching, Flobo, is 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 love right i think that and that's the greatest commandment if you think about it like i'm teaching everybody in the room no matter what race color creed religion to love thy neighbor right and understand that people of color have been uh have have been contri contributors to this great country that we have right so firstly love thy neighbor right i right. then secondly love yourself people of color have opportunities to celebrate themselves to realize the greatness that lies within their culture and their race and if you look if you look at research flobo boys You'll see that I like saying your whole name, football boys. No, You'll see that no. students and individuals who have a higher self-esteem, right, who have a racial identity and they have a they perceive that racial identity with positivity. They not yeah. only perform better in their test scores and no matter what subject, they have lower dropout rates, right, lower recidivism rates and higher uh, 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 academic achievement because they have an identity of self. Right. And a high self-esteem. And so what I'm doing ultimately, yes, uh, it is met positively. And there's, of course, some negative people every time. But those people have a fixed mindset and they refuse yeah. to see anything other than, oh, he's talking black stuff. Well, if you <laughs> listen to what I'm saying and see the benefits of it, perhaps if you yeah. really listen, you'll see that there is a need for this um, and maybe it would open eyes. So you're touring out now with your company, Schoolyard Rap. Um, what what does a tour look like? Is it schools? Is it community centers? Is it like your own concerts? You have opening acts? Like, what does that look like when you get on the road? Yeah, that's a great question. The past, see, I left my job as assistant principal in 2018. And uh, from there, we did uh, three three tours, Black History, a Latinx History, and then another Black History Tour. And what that has looked like is varied. It started off where me, the first year, the first Black History Month tour was me just going to colleges. Um, and we went to a bunch of different colleges in like, I think we did 10 or 11 states that first that first tour, right? Um, and that was you know, student life, uh, campus life, departments of equity brought us out to perform for college students. So it's um, you in the stage, a microphone, like a, like a hip hop show, is it like yeah. a TED talk? Like what does a Grio B show look like? Oh man, it looks great. It, it, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, <all>. amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Get so, your tickets today, y'all. Right now. 
out. No, what is what's it look like? Think about this, man. It's 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 me performing, right? And but also behind me, right? With every song I perform, I have videos, lyric videos, so that those who are visual learners can look on and read along as I'm performing, right? In addition, my DJ, DJ Leo, shout out to DJ Leo 510, the best DJ in the Bay Area. Uh okay. DJ Leo um and I, we have, you know, we have a pre uh we pre-practice and plan set. You know, we have some jokes in there, we have some fun, we have some audience interaction and engagement. And that's what it has looked like. Started colleges, then it went to school sites and then school districts. However, in 2022, Flobo Boys, in February 2022 or January to March, we're going to be now going the next level. Instead of us going to a school site or going to a college, we're going to be renting out venues. And those colleges, those schools can actually send their kids to field trips to come see our show. And that's where we're ramping up. I'm going to have a band. I'm having some dancers, some actors to to play it out. It's kind of like a musical theater, a musical concert where we're enhancing and just taking up the next level because everything I do is all about if I'm saying you have to pay this amount to see me, by the time you leave here, you say, oh man, I would have paid double that. No matter yeah. what my product is, I want you to say I would have paid more. Right. And so I'm really excited for that. That's the next step in Schoolyard Raps Evolution. And, and that way we can really bring this knowledge of, of celebration and uplift nationwide at a larger scale. I just want to say shout out to the Magic School Bus because that was the only cartoon that really understood how important school field trips were. Like I lived in Brooklyn my entire life. I've been to Broadway twice in my life and that was through school trips. And I won't forget those. So that's great. So you, Frizzle. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about? I saw, I saw, I saw, I saw the reboot. Uh, but so, so when, when you're writing, though, when you or are, or are you in the creative mode, is it a thing of working backwards? You get a beat and you're like, yo, this is something that inspires me. This, this takes me to a place? Or like, you know, this is a subject I'm learning on. Song has to be about this. Lyrics first, find beats to match. I mean, how does it work with something that's already like finite? You yeah, know, when it's coming to song. I'm a, I'm a beat for I'm a I'm a, a concept first. So I have a concept. I don't have the lyrics. So I have a thought, and I have to find. Initially, was finding the beat that matches. Now I work with a phenomenal production crew out of Fresno, California, which is my birthplace and where I'm from. Uh, okay. Shout out! Shout out to the Avengers. Shout out to Dre the most. And these individuals, uh, they now create and curate beats for me. So, for instance, I'm gonna throw something at you. I got an idea. You you say you're from you know your origins are West Indies. I'm I have a song that I I said yo. A student taught told me, I think it was in Buffalo. They're like, yo, I, I love your music. Can you have anything for, you know, the Caribbean and, you know, as I, and I was like, adult, but I'm going to have something. So I said, what is a great t- subject for, for that, right? And I really start thinking and I thought, okay, we never, we talk about slavery, but how often do we learn about slave rebellions, right? And then also, how do we, how often do we learn about like women? Right. So I started to do research. I'm like, ah, Queen Nani of the Maroons. Right. Uh, we got uh, Toussaint L'Ouverture. We got, you know, individuals in Haiti and in and in Jamaica. Right. Who who fought back. Then I said, what about more women? Right. So now Queen Amina Zazu. You got, you know, Queen Nzinga. Right. I'm talking about people who pushed back uh, uh, against colonial rule. Right. They weren't always successful, but they said, yo, I'm gonna fight this and I'm gonna stop mm-hmm. this because I'm not just going to be enslaved. Right. And so that's. I said, went to Dre and I'm like, yo, Dre, I got this idea. I need like, I'm feeling like like Caribbean, but more like Afro, Afro vibes, like something we can dance to, something that could be like a big party. But the content is like, you know, it's about uplift. It's about uprising and rebelling. And so he came up with us. We came, he created a a, a beat. Him and his team created a production um, for the thought process from there. Then after that, now that I have the beat to match the vibe that I'm going with, then it's now let's get all the nitty gritty of all the research, right? That's yeah. my research. I study and then I write 
to that beat and then that's that's really how i create songs it's about the vibe um and and the the music has to be curated to that vibe um i i don't really write and then just smash it on a beat that's not okay I, I gotcha yeah you know uh so my, my parents are from barbados and uh mm. one of the biggest rebellions in the area was Bustle's rebellion in fact they still have i have the the the, the statue right with the, the broken chains on a pedestal in saint thomas just like it's a roundabout it's just like oh yeah you know mm -hmm. uh one of the heroes there Hey there, citizens. Flobo here. You know, besides being a DJ, MC, and all around nice guy, I am a stand-up comedian first and foremost. In fact, my album, American For Now, is available wherever you get your music. We're talking Apple Music. We're talking iTunes. We're talking Spotify. American For Now is just a crazy take about one person's first-generation experience being in this country when it comes to taking your mom out to Memphis or serving jury duty and much, much more. The album was called American For Now, and it's by me, Flobo Boys. Comedy unfiltered. Well, it was it's, it's interesting too because I see you light up when someone comes out. You know, someone gave me a challenge for like, mm -hmm. "Hey man, can you like do this express sell spreadsheet?" I'm like, "Nah." <laughs> but it's almost like, "Oh man, can you like jump on this video game and commentate?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, of course. I got these ideas. I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna say this. I'm a big wrestling fan. I'm gonna make this look guy look huge and whatever." And that to me is a spark, which is pretty cool. Um, been to Fresno once. Uh, by way of Clovis, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I, I made a wrong turn, ended up in Clovis, and I was like, "Oh, this ain't Fresno." Um, cool town, very small, but it's cool town. I mean, people hate it for some reason, but I love it. Uh, but the question is too, also with with having a craft and loving your craft, mm -hmm. is there any pressure then, whether you look at it from as a black person or as a person from the kingdom of Fresno, to represent? And what does representation mean to you? Um, yes. It matters. Uh, representation means everything. And that's kind of that's why I do this. I mean, I start with the representation of having these images for students that they've never seen before. Right. So that kids can look up to and be like, oh, that's amazing. The representation of me and every single thing I do, providing the best possible presentation, the best possible appearance for myself um, for you know people to say, yo, he's dope. I love what he's doing. You know, that's a black man who is who, who I, I can aspire to be like or look up to. Right. And that's that's yeah. that's that thing you might have even felt to do you know especially if you went to schools that are all white in a sense of being that like voice for all black people i mean i hate it but you know what i'm talking about right yeah like, yeah what do you think about this yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm the voice and also it's like i've all i had this in the past and i no longer carry this feeling but a large part of my life was yo i if i'm gonna be in this space i can't be you know acting a certain way and this is me right. switching my talking how I feel like talking, not, you know, speaking in my professional way, because, you know, if I act a certain way, then at that point, all the, the people who aren't of my culture are going to look at me and be like, oh, that's that's exactly how they act. Right. I knew, yeah. you know, and so I feel like I always had to be an extra level of uh, representation. I no longer feel that way. I'm like, yo, yeah. be unapologetically you in every way, because, you know, acting one certain way or one certain, uh, 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 you know, kind of type graph of culture, that's actually a form of, you know, white supremacy. And really, we shouldn't be like that. Everybody has their own value and what it is. But but do you get it from the other end, too? Do people say you're not black enough or people say you're just not doing it right? I got to ask the questions, man. I'm just hey, taking my oh, Peabody Award. I'm taking the Peabody. <laughs> and that's you still, Flo Boys. And that's you no, uh, <laughs> 100%. I literally, I, that was my life story, man. Like, yeah. my life story was being called Carlton growing up. I oh, was, oh, yeah, you too. That Damn. was Oreo. Look at, I, I, my mom 
because she was in education, she made sure I went. We lied about our address so that I can go to the white school because that was the only school across the track near Clovis. Because Clovis, by the way, is the, the, the side a lot of people don't go. My, those those like cows that. eat well over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but then I come back home. And then I'm called white boy. Yeah, I'm over there. I'm called the N word. I come home called white boy. So yeah, it's, it's oh, this weird man. dichotomy. Man. I, I literally wrote a song where I'm like, uh, I'm stuck in the middle of black and white. I'm off black. That's B flat. White in the front, white on the back. Neither accepts and both neglects the simple fact that I'm black in a white man world. My zip code don't change that. Or a nice white girl. You call me white boy. What's the basis of the statement you're making? I didn't ask for your opinion. I don't need your validation. You say I don't act black. When did black become an adverb? That word describes the color of our skin, not the way we dress or act or determines who fits in. See, black don't mean so crack a ratchet black don't mean no dad a bastard black have both daddy mama black will run the whole country <laughs> obama <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> try the freestyle man I, you know, I can't pay you though but i was dope <laughs> that was fine but um but that's that's the representation ultimately when it comes down to it right i yeah. want to when people see what i do right there's going to be people who don't like it but for the most part i want everybody to say he speaks truth no matter what like at, at the very least, I want you to leave that no matter what I say, you cannot like it. It can make you uncomfortable. But everything that I present in my songs is factual. And at yeah. that point, because it's all factual, it can't be refuted. So whatever it makes you feel is how it makes you feel. But it's factual. And so that's really what I want to leave people with. Like that's the end of representation. That's all I care about now is that at the end of the day, my word is true. And that what I say in my music, right, you'd be like, yeah, it's right. Yeah. So that if you t- if you choose to ignore it after that, then you're just willfully ignorant as opposed to not knowing. My job is to enlighten and to erase ignorance because ignorance to me leads to racism. Right. But yeah. I want to make sure that everybody leaves there with me saying, at least, you know, I told yeah. you I taught you something. Yeah. I've been dreading this question, man, because I know it makes everyone feel a certain way. But 2020 happened. You know what I'm saying? It was a, a watershed moment for a lot of people. For me personally, I, I, I was angry a little bit before that. I can go into that if you like. But with the Black Lives Matter movement and the protests, and I guess uh, with Breonna Taylor and George Floyd coming out to the forefront, for some reason, I felt like a lot of com- companies and, and, and organizations were just looking to get understanding, whether you mean that ideally or cynicism or cynically, if you want to, to know about the Black experience. What was your experience going through that? I know you just said you have a small family. I mean, what was your, your experience in 2020 with this happening in the background yeah, or the foreground? Yeah, no, it was it was in front of everybody's eyes. And, and that was yeah. the thing about COVID is that we all were forced to watch it. Everything stood to a standstill in that point and everybody saw it, which is why for the first time, I mean, let's let's be real. Black people have been saying Black Lives Matter in some sort of way. It may not have been that phrase, but we've been saying it for quite some time. You know, same reason Huey Newton founded up the Panthers. Same reason 92 riots in Los Angeles, Detroit riots 43 and 67 after happened because to police Black Lives didn't matter. Right. And so 2020. During that time, I was in a weird place because my entire company, my business was traveling around to school sites and performing live to make a living, to provide for my pregnant wife and my family. Same for you, right? You were DJ, weddings, et cetera. That no longer happened. So I'm like, yo, bro, what am I doing? On top of that, right, I'm I'm going with that depression. But then everything that's happening in, in the nation with George Floyd, you know, starting off with Ahmaud Avery and then George Floyd being like, oh, what's going on? This is like, everybody can tell. Like anybody saw white people in, you know, the most racist city was like, oh, that was that was bad. You know why? Because when you see a, a man in his last breath crying out for his mama who ain't even alive, like that touches your soul. Right. And so 
I'm at this time when my wife is pregnant, my business is kaput. And I'm like, what am I, what am I doing? I'm going to protest. And my wife says, I don't want you to protest anymore. Right. I wrote a song in 2016 called Black Lives Matter. Like, I'm like, this is my moment. This is what I've been talking about. Like, I've been teaching this. I need to do something. And so really what happened is I created, um, it, it gave me divine inspiration in a sense to create the album that I just released called Racism. Um, and that album, all right, is is geared towards educating adults. For the first time, it's, it's album is not listed as a children's album. It's listed as hip hop for the first time. Everything else is children's album because for the first time I said, I want to teach adults about something. And I through that album, Racism, I teach about the history of systemic marginalization and oppression towards African-Americans through structures in this country. So structures yeah. like, you know, prison and pipeline system, blockbusting, redlining, like things that have happened in history so that when people are like, why is this happening? Well, if you listen to that album, you'd be like, oh, shoot, this is happening. This has happened. And this is why it's happening. And so it, that was a really tumultuous time, man. And I know yeah. I, I don't feel like you should be reticent to ask anyway, because it's like with everything else we sweep under the rug with history. Right. You can't yeah. sweep it. Under, you have to talk about it. You have to get through those uncomfortable feelings of however it's going to make people feel and other people's opinions so that people's truths can be spoken. And with those truths, if you truly have empathy, you can hear the truths from different people, from different walks of life, and especially people who look like George Floyd, who has kids who look like George Floyd and be like, OK, with empathy, I'm like, I can understand now. I can understand, yeah. and I want to do a little something different. So, yeah, if don't, I'm glad you asked that question. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess for me, uh, and there's, a, I mean, there's unfortunately a long list of, of people of color of all different walks of life who were mistreated that way. Uh, the one that spoke the most to me personally happened about what, look, two years or before that, you're not for the Philando Castile. Uh, Philando Castile, uh, when he passed away, I, I was out of answers because we were so about uh, the importance of defending the Second Amendment. Even if you are just about the fact that, hey, Bill of Rights are unassailable, unassailable, excuse me, let's, let's protect them. But then here's someone with a gun legally, and it was considered, okay, where is the NRA? The NRA, you're, you're an organization who say we protect this amendment specifically. Mm -hmm. And I got not even a detraction, I got silence. And I was like, well, wow, this is not even fair at all. Um, I know I feel like I'm, I'm the reason why I say that's kind of weird because like what is it's just a gun people say what a word about that but to me that said some rights are inalienable for most liberty and justice does not mean for all in this case and so not to say that um, it was interesting to see this from a distance in 2020 it was kind of like or I was almost like a little bashful and being like are we serious this time <laughs> like how many more people will have to pass away before someone says this. And even then, it's still rumblings to get Black Lives Matter listed as a terrorist organization, which that's another topic for another time. But you know what I'm saying? That's why I'm a little hesitant to be like, what was your experience in 2020? Yeah, well, under the Trump administration, uh, black or black identity extremists were consistent, were, 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 um, were targeted as terrorists, right? Or on their watch list, right? Or a threat, right? And so, uh, I understand. I just say that because that's just random spewing effects that I have to have a it's habitual for me. But I understand <laughs> your sentiment, and I had that same pause. Right? Is this really going to change things now? Because, and let's be honest, as African Americans in this country, when it happens so much and nothing is done afterwards, right? You start to feel defeated. You start to feel like nothing's ever going to change. That's so change going to come. We going to overcome, right? You you start to feel like it's never going to come, right? And so yeah. 
it was beautiful in that moment, right? Where the whole country, everybody across the world, Germany, Japan, Russia, they were like, yo, Black Lives Matter. And I'm not talking about Black Lives Matter's organization, right? And I, I get the controversy to that. I'm talking about specifically the statement that Black Lives Matter and what it means, right? Statement of oppression that, that attempts to place attention to the system of oppression. We don't hate cops, but we all learn the lesson that if our skin was white, we wouldn't be stressing when approached by the cops, see the light flashing. If a cop has a bias, he's going to end up harassing. And if I make a move, a gun appears like magic i put my hands together but he'll do the clapping he'll say he felt threatened the news will say it's tragic but a black life is lost because of overreaction like that's what it means when it comes down to it and so a hundred percent i i sympathize with that feeling of angst like it's never going to change and to be honest we still don't have verdicts for Ahmad Avery's case. We still have verdicts. Look what happened with Breonna Taylor. I mean, that was a, a gross miscarriage of justice, in my opinion. And then they placed it on a, a black, a black man, the you know, uh, uh, the attorney general of the state, right? They they placed it on him to make the decision, and he went far left. Now, yeah, I do the quote on black man. By the way, I did quotes, by the way, and I say because he's black, but ain't every skin folk is 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 kin folk, and I say that because <laughs> a lot of people who stitched on the runaways in the plantation. Just think about it. That's fact. So, I just say ultimately, um, and. For the record, Flobo Boys, when I travel around the country, I, I stay very centrist. I stay strictly true. You have to. I'm, yeah. I'm allowing myself to give a little bit more of myself and my opinions and my true nature because we're, you know, we're, we're talking and you're trying to get to know the real me. But when I travel, I stay pretty centrist because I recognize that it's not about politics, really. We shouldn't right. have the political, really, our political ideology shouldn't define us as individuals or as humans or even as a country. And sure. as the past, like, four to eight years, that's really been the ship where now it's like our political identity is who we are as a person or as a country and it's dividing us. And that's not really what it has been. And it should be so i just want to say absolutely. that real quick um, no, absolutely but yeah I, I didn't get around to answering the question but <laughs> no, <this is> very <laughs> light well I, I say this in a lot of episodes for those of you who are, are long-term listeners but i grew up in a two-party household uh my dad is conservative my mom is, is progressive um my mom never actually registered to vote so i understand both sides in that way i'm not saying i'm like i'm not saying the part for being elevated like oh, i understand both sides but i understand once you leave your house that most people in this country want the same thing. They want to be able to take their kids to school. They want to be able to not be threatened in their lives. They want to pursue liberty. Is that the problems we have usually have two different giant theories, schools of thought of what the root of it is. And that's where people get to their whole ideas and, and their whole fight infighting as well. So, no, I understand it's interesting. And you're an intellectual too. You want to pursue knowledge. You want to be able to keep your mind open to see if any any new information can influence your perspective on the world. So ain't, ain't no thing about that. Uh, I had a question about racism real quick. If I won't forget it. You said that it was your first album for adults in hip hop section. Mm -hmm. Was that a conscious effort going into it? Or when you were writing the song, you were like, okay, I think this is like beyond... Uh, kids can learn from this, but I do think adults can learn from this. Was it a moment at top of the creative process or in the thick of it? No, it was at the top. It was the purpose of that was how do I still contribute to this moment right now? How do I help my country through this time, right? Because mm -hmm. I can, my wife doesn't want me to protest. She's pregnant. How do I continue to how do I not continue, but how do I change my country for the better? And so I said, adults need to learn these things. School boards need to have this conversation. Uh, principals and education people need to listen to this album. You know, people who are these companies that you said are like, oh, let's do something about it. They need to listen to this album to really learn and bring me in so I can talk to them. And so I was very conscious about doing it specifically for adult learners. Still don't, still no cussing. Hey, still, still clean music, but it's for adults. I don't cuss in my music. Yeah, I don't cuss right. in my music. I try not to. I almost say as a comedian. <laughs> like I do late night clean because I feel like not to say it's more marketable that way, but you are gonna have to at some point to be able to talk to a room without swearing. Right. Just do it now. Make it easy. Uh 
I like to have ideas about how to fix or how to improve where I live. But usually someone like nudges you in the shoulder and like, hey, you try running for office? Someone asks that same question. Public office, is that a path? Have you decided to consider it? Is it a thing? Not even? What's your stance on that? It's a thing. Um, it's a thing. My wife and I are going to move back to Fresno, California. Not back. Well, I'm moving to Fresno, California, my wife, um, eventually. And I think I want to get involved. I'm not sure on which scale. I know definitely somewhere in the school board because education is near and dear to my heart. Um, but for me, it's about money. I'm going to be real. That's why my, my company, Squeal Rap, is not a nonprofit. There's so much money in the educational spectrum. And it's a lot of the stuff for equity or diversity is going to companies who don't reflect diversity or equity so i'm like if i'm a, if i'm i'm gonna be in this i'm gonna make some money my goal is to be rich like a millionaire like multi-millionaire rich global boys but mm -hmm. i say that because this is america and the truth of america is it, when it comes down to it, it's a business in a sense like if you don't have money or if you have money you can have power or influence that helps out and so what i want to do is use that money to give back and create stuff in the community and have uh agency right and the power to kind of di dictate what it feels like and what it looks like for the people i'm trying to to serve and help out right and that's that's really yeah. what i'm trying to do and yes public office in the future i'm trying to figure out when um i don't think now i i, I really think where i'm at right now i'm just at the impotency i'm like out the starting blocks and we're we're on the first 10 meters of the race right as, yeah. as a company and artist we're, we're, we're really starting to pick up we got a song set up is now it's on like it's 14 spots away from being on the billboard top 40 right we're okay that's never i never wanted to be on the radio but we got 12 stations who are playing our song right now right and so it's starting to pick up and i want I want to keep going further and really reach the zenith of what my hopes and dreams are for schoolyard rap and for Griot B. Um, yeah. Before I before I step down in a sense or step to the side into a different platform because whatever I want to do, I want to be the I want to be the best at it. I want to really do it to the best of my ability. And this one, I'm trying to be a household name um, in this lane that I've created. Or I'm really trying to pioneer and make some great educational hip hop. That's that's what I'm trying to do. I ran for public office, and uh, yeah, it's uh, not great. <laughs> uh, so in L in LA, um, neighborhood council level, but it's affiliated with the city of LA. So we would have to if you if I got elected, which I didn't, I would have to do the same ethics courses and money management courses as if. Um, so LA has like uh, what sixty neighborhoods or something. This is like Palms West LA. I was running as a business representative because I had two companies here. Uh, one of my DJ business and the other New Amsterdam Entertainment. I was like, hey, look, I've been living in this neighborhood for eight years. It's a transit transit community. Let me see how I can uh, improve it. And uh, I'm going to tell you this, from my cynical experience, I guess cynicism is a theme here. There's a lot of politics and politics, my brother. Uh, <laughs> I had no idea. I was too bright-eyed for what I was. I was leading the slaughter. I was a lamb in front, like, woo! politics uh it wasn't the bit wasn't for me and so more people who can do it and will do it i appreciate it because it's not my vibe <laughs> yeah no I, I i understand the cynicism and in truth um i recognize that the thing about politics is you have to play politics right you have and in doing the playing the politics a lot of people lose their original passion or original uh, uh reasons why they started it because they're so muddled on you know trying to play the game to survive and stick stick it out right which is why i think you know every single you know senators and con congressmen should have a you know eight term or four term limit part of me that's that's think that should be a thing nationwide like you can only serve up to x amount of terms and never again <laughs> so that's right. just my thought um but i hear you and and like i said it's going to do in time um and it's going to take a lot more temperance of my personality to, to, to get into <laughs> politics 
I'm a I'm a I'm a speak my mind type of guy, and that and I wear my emotions on my face and sleeves. So I, yeah, I got to do better at that before I enter the rank spectrum of politics. If you're relatable, that's you get those votes. Uh, yeah. You said education is important to you, so I have to ask you a question about education, and it's a personal question, kind of sorta. Do you have faith in the current public education system? I know a lot of people can opt out and do charter schools, private schools, that sort of thing. What do you say on that? Educational system in America is a form of white supremacy. It's a it's a constant uh, mismanagement or uh, unequal um, displacement disbursement. Pardon me of funds. It is curriculum assigned to highlight certain Im- individuals and certain cultures. White men. I. I have faith that we can work through innovation and through the right people and placement. You can work to fix education system. It is not broken. It's working as exactly how it's designed, right? The educational system from, you know, Thomas Jefferson's, uh, uh, you know, thoughts on the education system in general was to have uh, two tracks, one for the learned and one for the workers, right? That the workers would work and then the learned would success be successful in here, you know, and, and elevate. And so that's really how it is. That's why it looks the same for the most part as it looked in the, in the early 1900s. And so it is my fervent task, right? To do whatever I can to fix the education system, but I can, I can only do it if there's individuals who are, brave who are um open and innovative in their own right to want to change things because it's 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 a it's a it's a horrible system man school to pipeline school to pipeline is real right um the funding of schools i mean segregation is a real thing even today in america it's just under a different name and that's the whole thing as i was trying to say earlier but i lost my train of thought because i was talking about some of the other dope stuff because i'm amazing (laughs) (laughs) amazing. get up yourself (laughs) yeah yeah kudos to me that's a pat on my back y'all y'all can't hear it but it's yeah i'm happy no uh i'm about to lose it again no is that um is that when it comes down to it those systems we talked about, uh, those structures where I said in the past, right, black men were on bottom, right? It's not overtly stated anymore, right? That's the whole thing with, you know, Richard Nixon and the Southern strategy, which is like this whole verbiage where they changed and kind of shifted the South, which were Democrats for the most part, to Republicans because they switched the language. It wasn't overtly racist anymore. They start saying things like, you know, law and order, you know, uh, fair and equal house, like different phrases, right? And so what I'm getting at is that it's subtle now. The thing about Segregate desegregation the country, right? Is that now it made it much easier then to segregate it even more, but then put a face on it by saying we're doing it, it's it's not illegal, like we're doing everything by the book, but the book is only written by individuals in power at that local level. See, laws are written but implemented heavily against those of melanin pigment. How can a system of laws protect citizens who didn't vote them into existence, right? And so that's why we still have segregation in our school systems, right? In a way where this school over here that's been gerrymandered in a certain area where their property <laughs> is worth X amount of dollars, they get X amount of dollars, whereas this school over on this side of the tracks, their property values are this low, so they get this amount of money, right? Yeah. And so it's it's a, it's a it's an entire system that needs to be, I don't want to say dismantled, because I don't want to sound like an anarchist or a crazy person, but it truly needs to be restructured, and it takes brave uh, leaders and principals on the on the school site and teachers to say this is what we're going to do. And more importantly, you know the real thing: it takes brave parents. People forget that education is like uh, uh, the United States of America and government. 
the people are have the power. The people have the power to overthrow their government. That's why the United, that's why there's a Second Amendment in the first place. It's to overthrow the government if the government tramples the rights as humans. Right? You're supposed to bear arms and over. I'm not going to go into that. That's what yeah. they were doing right. on January 6th. But what well, I got a militia. Yeah, I got right. you. <laughs> right. But but um, I'm not advocating insurrection by any means. What I'm saying no, is does, that yeah. um is that just like that was written into the constitution that the people and the government get their power from the people itself we the people same thing for education's communities right we think about superintendents or school board or principals the teachers right it's really the parents and the students who have the voice the people who, are, who everybody else is actually working for have the power and so parents need to unite more in our in our in our communities they need to have some sort of power and and use that power realize they have the power to actually voice their opinion and make real change in their neighborhoods and that's really where we've gotten on the wayside because there's a lack of trust in our school systems or like we said earlier a feeling of defeat that nothing we do will change and so it's like i might as well just do it my way and just forget about it so yeah that's that's really what i'm trying to uh work against man that's a great question appreciate that oh no problem uh, i guess to go along with that i don't have kids of my own but you have a child and i know that there's a lot of options for education do you have to like think of a plan now to find like the best educational opportunity are you doing supplemental stuff i mean what what is kind of burden do parents have these days knowing full well the system needs uh, as you say some sort of like a re-examination for their own children for the next generation my son is 14 weeks or 14 yeah he's what it's four months he's four months now and i stop saying weeks he's four four months um my wife is probably going to homeschool him for a while and then we're probably going to have some sort of education if i make it to the level of success i want where i travel if i travel i'm bringing my wife and kids so now we're kind of experiencing life and experiencing education and then eventually putting him in school so he can be socialized etc cetera, etc cetera. um parents have parents with the means to have choices they have choices but the majority of all parents don't have those means and they have to go with what is given them education system now more feels like a child care system and in the minds of parents uh it as it's perceived as it's the school's job to educate it's the school's job to feed and that's that where where in the past it's been a family job and the school is supposed to support that family job as well but so many individuals are living hand to fist so many people are below the poverty line i mean should we can't even pass a 15 dollar minimum wage in this country right it because i'm not gonna go into that the point is there's so many individuals where it's not a choice flobo boys that what they're what they have in front of them is what they are going to take because that's all they have charter schools i'm, I'm a proponent of charter schools right I, I started in a charter school system i started a charter school in 2015 and very successful but the thing about charter schools it's like you know drugs or it's like anybody right if you don't have a good product right and you're 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 capitalizing on the the hope of individuals you're a scumbag to me right if your product mm. if your product is crap and you're going to these people in this impoverished neighborhood said oh come to our school instead because yo we our product's dope and you're getting rich or getting paid off that business because it's a business when everything is a business in america right and you're getting paid but then your product is crap then i have a problem with you right you're you're, you're a scumbag to me but if you are saying yo come to our charter school because we can provide a difference and you actually follow through on that right and you're getting paid and get money from it, I'm all for it because now you're providing choices for individuals who don't have a choice. 
And hopefully, if it, if it's done right, you inspire the public school, or you know, charter schools are public schools are publicly funded, but you know what I'm saying? The, the the public school, you inspire the public school in a sense to do better or do different so that that competi- comp- competition is good, but there's yeah. no competition education system that's the thing about charter schools is theoretically they should provide competition in this structure of uh, of education education is important more like my mom used to say when she would say i don't care what you do is get good grades nothing under under an a minus in my household but hopefully with racism the album i'm already out now hopefully the people will check it out and be inspired is there any like one thing or multiple things you want people to pull from it uh once they like, listen to it through in the car in the club <laughs> at church i mean what <laughs> I got a song called Black Jesus for the Church. I, I got <laughs> that job be excited with two extra tracks. Oh, uh, man. Um, I got a channel my inner Kirk Franklin. No, I'm blank. All right, so listen. I, that did not Lord. make me. Hey, he a human. He a human, man. I did not lose respect at all. I'd be like, my mama didn't say worse stuff to me. I'm like, I get it. I, yeah, I told you. I told you it's Caribbean, y'all. Like, <laughs> um, the one thing, are there things I want people to take from the racism album? Um, I want them to firstly go into it while listen for with the intent to listen, right? Yeah, it's it's straight bops on there, slaps. Like the songs are fire, the beats are great, the production is good. You can listen to it and not even know you're learning. But I want you to take time to listen to the songs, um, and listen with an open heart, open mind. Like, yo, what is this saying? Because everything I'm saying is in a, is truth. And more importantly, I want them to take that this is the perception of many African-Americans in this country, but I'm throwing it through the lens of historical facts and realities. Um, And that's important thing, like understanding that this is the reality. Um, And for people who aren't black, I want to say, look, the problem that I'm mentioning on the album isn't white men or white people. The problem that I'm talking about in the album is white supremacy. I have nothing against white people. I have everything against white supremacy. And that's what we're trying to address in the album. Well, if anyone want to check it out right now, how would they go about doing that? And how can they follow you online to see what's coming up next on the pipe for you? Yeah, you can follow uh, follow me at uh, the Griot T H E G R I O T B uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, the album is called Racism. It's spelled racism, R A C I S M, and it stands for Realizing American Culture Instills Systemic Marginalization. Um, I just didn't want to put acronyms because nobody would ever find it. Uh, you can find that on Spotify, Apple Music, any place streaming music is. You can find it. You can Google Griot B Racism on YouTube and listen to my music there. Uh, it's free. You can buy it if you want. I appreciate the support, but I think knowledge should be free. So everything on there is free for you to listen to. Um, and if you want to reach out to me personally, you go to uh, my website, schoolyardrap.com, and you can talk to me there. Can I just say it took me a longer time than I care to admit that I got the name of your company? I was like, oh, it's like Schoolyard Rock, but oh. <laughs> I, 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 I'm a smart one, man. I'm smart. I'm just like, oh, my God. What are you doing? <laughs> Yeah. But anyway, uh, I, I will I will check out the album. I will post it uh, with this post when it goes live on uh, New Amsterdam Radio. Thank you so much for coming. I want you back. I want to see how it is a year from now, six months from now, how that's growing for you, the next stage of your career as you blow up in that music space. And likewise, man. I mean, yeah, you have been steady grinding. Uh, my wife says he has a bunch of episodes, right? And so right there, that says it all. Like you are steady and consistent. And steady and consistent with innovation is how you become uh, successful, right? I mean, shoot, what is the uh, Booker T. Washington said? Excellence is doing the common thing, I mean, thing uncommon. In an uncommon way. Yeah, I, had, I used to have that on my wall. Yeah. 
when I tell my son, my one I, I say that one, and then the other one is my favorite by Vince Lombardi. He says the quality of a person's life is in direct proportion to their commitment of excellence, regardless of their field of endeavor. Right. Dang. So I love that one. That's what I tell my son every morning when he wake up. Um, but 100%, I want to come back and see your progress as well as you ascend and, and, and grow in your craft as well. Thanks so much for listening to New Amsterdam Radio. Learn more about the show at newamsterdam.com. That's K N E W Amsterdam.com. Until next time, this city is yours. <laughs> <laughs>